It's always right before a huge blessing that the temptation is the greatest. Render My Money 2021, Session 1. Well, I want to welcome everyone to the Render My Money Financial Empowerment Series. We're going to have six series, and sort of to set the tone, I wanted to play a video, and I want A.V. to go ahead and roll that video. It's eight minutes, and just listen. She spent most of her life doing other people's laundry in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. But today, 87-year-old Osceola McCarty became Dr. McCarty. Osceola McCarty spent more than 75 years washing and ironing other years people's clothes. years of simple clothes. living, she managed to collect a small fortune of over $150,000. the indignities of segregation. But now, McCarty washed amazing It's the face of Osceola McCarty, a woman who has come to symbolize generosity Osceola McCarty reçoit tous ses admirateurs. But now, we'll Osceola McCarty was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 1913. Her world was composed of the artifacts of agriculture and her choice was to work. Her gifts of the heart open a new world for future generations. My mother, Lucy Zimmerman, and my uh, grandmother, Julia McCarty, and my uncle, Albert McCarty, and Evelyn Hewitt McCarty. We got our name from the white people. They say they sold the slaves to the different, you know, families that was wealthy. Mm-hmm. And they take them in the end and, and give them their name. We didn't allow ourselves to walk too much because we was you know, didn't have no help, and we just, whatever we could get a hold of, and then the white people would give us, give us, you know, we would work, and it was all good workers. They come and bring their clothes. They used to not bring them. You had to go get your clothes. Oh, we washed in a cast iron wash pot in a, in a tin tub and rub the clothes with a rubber board and throw them in the pot and boil them, wrench them, come to the line, hang them up, and have them all the starch pieces, or we starch them, and come on to the line, hang them up. Oh, we didn't, we didn't charge much. Sometimes it'd be two dollars, sometimes a dollar and a half. After the war, why, they began to pay more. You know, time, you know, as the money started flashing, why, well, that's the way they paid. They paid good. We stayed with work. We worked all the time, all the time. Never was without work. Plenty of work to do. 
I worked all night sometime and all day. And then the next day, work. And when I get ready over in the next evening, well, I pull my shade and blind down and crawl over in the bed, get ready and go to bed and sleep four days and get up and go right back at it again. But one day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. Talk of dreams was not an answer in an outside world which was embedded in controversy. But at the same time, Osceola McCarty was living a dream of sharing her dreams with others. And today, those dreams of hers and dreams of theirs have become a reality. I don't know nothing about it. I washed and ironed, and I washed and ironed. We didn't have no problem. We lay around and wherever they wanted us to work, well, we worked. Had to put money in place of drawing it out of that standing bank and let it grow. That's what they told me. It would grow. You don't take it out, it'll grow. And some people, every, every week they're taking so much out of it. Well, when they get through, when that month's up, they done got all that money out of that money, out of that bank. Well, I didn't do that. You have it in the mind, you're going to save something. You're going to save every time you get paid off. You're going to put some of that money for your saving account. I had decided, this is it, I had too much money for, you know, more than I'd ever knew. And I didn't have no sister, no brother, no children, and nobody. All my family were dead. In the place of giving it to my relatives, I thought I'd divide it out so they, all of them could get some of it. A relative, and then what wasn't relative? Everybody. Any nation, anybody wanted a scholarship why they could get. And so when I decided, well, I decided on the USM because long years ago, nobody didn't go to that school but white. And now, colored gold, they're just like the white too. And I thought it would be a good thing to put it out there and let them, and since this was a hometown university, give them the money and let them do what they know what to do with. I didn't know what to do with. And so I wanted a scholarship, and that's what they did. Bob Tyler McCarty shocked USM, Hattiesburg, and the nation when she recently revealed that she was giving USM $150,000 Wonderful, uh, magnificent, magnificent thing. Honorary degree at Harvard for an achievement we told you about last year. I'd just like to say that if this country had more people like you, we'd have very few problems and we'd be even greater than we are. And I'm very proud of you and I thank you so much for what you've done and for the example you set for people all across America. 
You know, some people don't give nothing, and they didn't see it that way. But after they say, if I was a little washerwoman and could do that, why give money? Why everybody else ought to be able to do it themselves? When it goes bad, that's the Lord testing you out. See how strong he is. You're strong enough to come out from under that while you're okay. I feel blessed because everything is going smooth and look like the, everybody's enjoying it. Everything I do for them and whatever I do, I do it from my heart. And they all seem like they appreciate it. And that's the reason I believe I'm blessed. So I wanted to set the tone. I wanted to wipe away all the excuses. I don't know if y'all heard the beginning. It was a little muffled, but Miss Davis, a washwoman, making 50 cents, 75 cents, was able to give the University of Mississippi $150,000. What they didn't tell you was she also gave her family members some fifty to $100,000. I think she had over $275,000 saved up. So there's no excuse. And, and I want to sort of erase the mystery about money. There's no mystery. Just like there's no mystery about getting this shape, there's no mystery about losing weight, but there requires a degree of discipline and understanding. And if Ms. Davis, who didn't have access to mutual funds, who didn't have access to stocks, only thing she knew was put her money in the bank. And one of her famous quotes was, she understood the power of compound interest. So as we move through this class, I know there's incentives, but there's an accountability that comes once you know. See, when you're ignorant, you still suffer, but there is some less accountability. But once you know to do right and don't, it's been my experience that the retribution is just a little tougher. So I want you all to just understand that the Render My Money class, and you go to slide two, our mission is to inspire the attitudes and inform the minds of Christians so they can become great stewards of God's wealth. And understand that the foundation of this class is based in biblical principles. And I know we think that in church, and not in this room, but a lot of people, and the general feeling about Christianity is that the preacher gets rich and the members are struggling. But the truth is, the Bible is there for everyone. And there are over 700 direct references to money in the Bible. And more than two-thirds of Jesus' parables related to money. So there's no indication that the Bible is telling us that in order to get to heaven, you got to be poor. Slide three. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord make it rich and added no sorrow. Now, I've been doing this class for some 20-some years. <laughs> I hate to say those numbers because it sounds so long. I don't feel that old, but I've been doing it a long time. And that's one verse that I latched on to. Because that's what I wanted. I never really wanted a ton of money. My goal was really to be debt free and to pay my kids college tuition. That was it. But this verse really honed in the true understanding of what God's wealth is about. Because the history we can see throughout all the social media, all this thing that's being pumped in our psyche, how we can see people, they get a lot of money, but they don't have peace. They're not happy. 
And so I asked the question, what do you think is the single most important thing that will solve your financial problems or your wealth problems and guarantee you future wealth success? Now I want to take out a sheet of paper and write the one thing on a sheet of paper. And be honest, you know, whatever you think. I'm not, I don't want to steer you, but I want you to write down. And we're going to revisit this question later on in the class today. So today we're going to discuss Christian wealth, stewardship, and establishing a financial vision. So what is God's plan for us obtaining wealth? Do we equate wealth with money? Let's begin an examination of wealth. Historically, wealth has always been about crops when it was agriculture or land or even treasure like it is today. We find today that wealth is also equated to influence and position. You know, we have a family that has no talent, but they made millions of dollars over influence. And so when we think about it, there are a lot of ways to make a lot of money. But there's only one way that I believe to make it where you have wealth with no sorrow. Because what you see before you on social media, what you see before you on TV, seems like a lot of rich people with a lot of problems. And growing up, if you grew up, you know, middle to lower income, you thought rich people had no problems. You never realized that there were more psychiatrists and more suicide in Beverly Hills than it was in the project. It's only recently. With the expansion of social media, we've seen suicides are going across. But poor people used to kill themselves. We had every reason to. And so when you think about it, you know, we have to understand what God is interested in. And what God talks to, talks to us about is our attitude. He wants to understand your attitude. Joel Osteen says, slide four. I did a lot of work with these slides. I want to go through these slides. <laughs> Joel Osteen said, keep a good attitude. And do the right thing when it's hard. And when you do that, you are passing the test. And God's promises you, your marked moments are on their way. And what marked moments are, are your goals and visions. And I like that because I think it's so prevalent that we see that whenever we're trying to do something right, usually, whether it's trying to go on a diet, it's first, you don't know how many people got resolutions for diets, but trying to lose weight or trying to correct the relationship, there's always a tiredness or inability to stay disciplined. I mean, I went through a thing where, and I always have an issue with finding out I have something physically wrong and I've neglected to take care of myself. So I had a story when I was in my 40s, I was playing racquetball. And, you know, I played basketball in my years and I played racquetball and I didn't do anything special. But the next morning, this is when you start feeling like you're getting old, I woke up, my knee had just blown up. And I went to the doctor, and she was like, oh, you have arthritis in your knee, so you just need to get ready to have a knee replacement in 10 years, 5 years. And that really took me. There's no way. I don't take surgery like In fact, I despise it. I, 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 I do everything I can not to deal with doctors and getting cut on. And so I got on the Internet, and I started researching. And I found a doctor that said that, Knee problems don't come from arthritis just appearing. Knee problems come from the fact that as you get older, if you're not physically active, you start losing muscle mass. And your muscles are designed to hold your bones in suspension. So what happens when you lose muscle mass? Your muscles get weak and your bones lay on top of each other. Hint, pain, joint issues. <laughs> you understand that? So when I realized that, I said, oh my God. So I started working out. And I first started working out twice a week. And my wife and I worked out together. And it was amazing because I did not realize how weak I really was. Because 
I'm in a gym. I'm saying this for a reason. Because sometimes we get stuck in our position and not able to look down the road. When I'm in the gym, I got these big old guys in there, you know, it was a very intimate gym. And my wife may have 2.5 pounds and I had five pounds. And that was a problem for me. Because I was like, I know I'm not supposed to be just double with my wife. And, you know, <laughs> and I was embarrassed. And I said, wow. And I understood why. So from that day, I made a point that I was going to continue on and just progress. And I didn't make it easy because I was working out at six in the morning. So it wasn't easy. And you know what happened? Once I went the first six months, I saw myself getting stronger. But I was still, you know, and it was a hard journey because, you know, when you ain't work, when you haven't worked out, you're back and stuff, your muscles start locking up for no reason. So I have ice and heat. But I kept going. I kept going. I went from two days to three days to five days. And it's the same way with your money. It's the same way. The Bible teaches us that it's not money itself that's evil. It says what? The love of money, which is reflective of your attitude. And what people don't realize is that money is interesting because it's one of the one things that amplifies your personality. So if you are mean and you get a ton of money, you get meaner. If you're kind, you get kinder. It just amplifies who you are. And that's why you see so many people just go crazy when they instantly get money. And I hear this all the time. You know, people say, if that was me, there's no way I'd do that. You don't know what you do. <laughs> In fact, you're going to pretty just look at your situation, amplify, and that's what you'll do. But with the understanding, if you're willing, if you're willing to be honest, and I kind of remember also that I keep my wife because, again, we don't know how we are in our state. We sort of get blind to our station, where we are. And I just remember after I started working out and getting in shape that my kids used to tease me. And I remember one time my daughter said something to me. She was like, I saw your stomach come across the corner before I saw you. And my son used to call me Fat Daddy. Hey, Fat Daddy. Now, now listen, some people would have killed their kids, but I've always been an honest person. And I did one thing. I went and looked in the mirror. I'm looking inside. I ain't lying. So, you know, you do something about it. And what I'm telling you all is that your excuses after looking at Osceola McCarty, you have no excuses. You have no excuses. And it doesn't matter where you are. You can't do anything about the past. Yes, it's easier when you start younger. Youth has its advantages because it makes it easier. But think about it this way. You have to do right longer when you start young. And what do we want to do? What is our natural pool of our, we want to do a lot of wrong stuff. We want to have fun, right? Especially as kids. Kids grow up with the idea, I want to have fun. And then we got these sayings that we go out and recite, you know, I'm living my best life. Do I say I'm living the right life? <laughs> I say I'm living my best life. Everybody know this song, right? Ain't where anybody know, right? You know the song. And the point of the matter is that when we look at God, when God has given us a diagram to follow, you don't need a preacher. And if you look at slide five, the Bible lays it out. It says Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And that verse is basically telling us the roadmap. Because when we look at that, we think God's going to do it for us. But actually what God is saying is, after you've done all you can do, after you put in all the work, after you've been diligent, after you've sacrificed, after you've kept your heart pure, and not gotten all bloated up and proud of what you've done and looking down at people. Then if you are tempted to go somewhere and you find your journey is being hindered, then God will step in. 
You know, God has equipped us and made us in his image. And you think about it for yourself. When you have a child and when you've given that child all the advantages to succeed, you're sort of reluctant then to go and carry them the way. You're like, look, I've done everything. I've been here. I've given you the ability to go to school. You got the information. You know, it's like if a mother took a baby and said, my baby's so precious. I'm just going to carry that baby around. He's not going to ever struggle and walk. And you sitting there 12 years later with a bowl of jello of a baby because he hadn't developed any muscles. Another verse is Proverbs 6, slide 6, Proverbs 3, 16, and 17. And this talks again about God's promises when it comes to money. It says, long life is in her right hand, and her left are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peace. God is talking about the advantages of wisdom, the advantages of experience, and the application of the right knowledge, which is wisdom. But let me say what also he's saying. For some reason, I don't know why I'm not a scholar of the Bible. I picked these verses out because they drew me. But he used a her in this. And when you think about the images we see now, peace is not really identified with a lot of women today. I heard a joke, right? And the joke was this lady went to the doctor and she went to a psychiatrist and she wanted to talk about her husband. And she said, you know, doctor, she said, my husband always gets extremely mad when we're having a discussion. I don't understand why. He just blows and gets angry and just explodes when we're just having a discussion or disagreement. So I said, okay, let me try something out. He said, what I want you to do is, he said, when your husband starts this discussion, you see him getting mad, he said, just take some water and put it in your mouth and swish it around. And she said, huh? He said, just try it. So she goes back to her home, and sure enough, they get in a discussion, and it starts off, and she sees her husband getting angry, and she gets some water, and she starts swishing. She's just swishing. He's talking. He's swishing. And miraculously, over the course of time, the arguments got less and less. And she cannot believe it. So she goes back to the doctor a couple months later and she said, Doctor, what is the power of water swishing in my mouth? Doctor said, it's not the water. He said, I told you to switch the water so you keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Peace, peace is more valuable than all the money in the world. Second Peter, also God's talking about the attitude of money. Second Peter 1 Five and seven. And this is talking about the discipline is required. He says, for this reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising your faith. Every effort. Effort is action. Develop more excellence. And in more excellence, knowledge, which is insight and understanding. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, godliness. And your godliness, brotherly affection. And your brotherly affection, develop Christian love that is learned to unselfishly seek the best for others in all things for their benefit. Now, what is he talking about there? We see people that will sell what's right in order to make money. They say, it's the only way I can get out. They don't have the moral foundation. Listen, you can get money, and you can have a lot of money. We just had the pleasure of watching our president for four years, and he said he's worth five, six billion, right? But you can't tell me he has a peaceful home. You can't tell me it's a good vibe when you're around it. I mean, if I had a wife, and I try to grab her hand, and she's snatching away, that's some issues. You should at least be able to fake it walking from the plane to the daggone door. The attitude, understanding it's going to take work. Listen, one of the things that came out of the Garden of Eden is that you're going to have to work. Say, by the sweat of your brow. That's in the Bible. 
Proverbs 22 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and love and favor rather than silver and gold. What is that saying? What do people think when they think of your name? Do they bow their heads? Now take that person and give them a lot of money. See, I believe in a lot of ways, and I kind of, I've seen this because, you know, sometimes when a person comes into a lot of money, a lot of people around them get a lot of money. They might be the same, but they get it. But I've seen factual evidence that people lose their mind and they don't understand the fact that their name needs to be associated with what people really genuinely have a good feeling. Because what that leads to, see, when you're young, you have the ability to go through a lot of people. You know, everybody don't know you. So you may move to another city and you can start all over. You got new people. They don't know you yet. So you got a lot of friends. So you always seem like you got friends. But when you get older, you get alone. And I see it because I have a business which we take care of elderly people. And you see it. And it is heartbreaking. So when people think of your name, they should think of something good. You should make them smile. It's like a movie I remember with Red Fox was in it, and the girl name was Sunshine. And when he thought about it, he looked up and he smiled. Hey, y'all know the movie. I know we're in church. <laughs> y'all, everybody's seen that movie. <laughs> but that's what he should think of you. And that's what God wants us to realize. At the end of the day, wealth nor poverty has any inherent virtue. They're neither moral or immoral. They are bad poor people. They're bad rich people. In fact, God's law does not promise you material riches. That's not what he promised you. But God has given us solid financial principles to follow. And when you watch Miss McCarty, you can tell she was a rich person. She didn't have any wants. I mean, you can go on YouTube and look at it. But you listen to her. People say, why are you not spending this money? Why are you not buying you some stuff? And you can say, that's a very limited life. But I can show you a lot of people who got a lot of cars, a lot of houses, and they just as unhappy as they want to be. I'm not trying to stifle your dreams. What I'm telling you is that your attitude has to be built around something more than that. Or you'll be just like the people you see going down there and don't even know what to do with their money. They take it on social media. I've seen everything. He's throwing money out the window, throwing money up in the club. I mean, just have no idea. And I'd like to use the example. If you owned a goose that laid a golden egg, would you eat it? For dinner. And that's what happens when you don't understand the value of money and your money never works for you. Miss McCarty money worked for her. But what do we put our money in? When you put your money in depreciable assets, things that go down in value, your money's not working for you. You're working for your money. And we think about what's being pumped in our psyche. You gotta have a car, you know, you gotta you gotta have swag, you gotta have the you know two thousand dollar shoes and tennis shoes at that. <laughs> I mean, it's gotten to the point where it seemed like there's no common sense. That's why I wanted to show that video, because if you think back, that was 1995. Now, everybody here that's my age, that don't, that's not a long time ago, because you can remember 1995, what you was doing. And guaranteed, in 1995, very few people in this room had $150,000 saved up. But Ms. Osceola did. So that's why I like God's wealth, which is the blessing of the Lord, make it rich and add it no sorrow. And I also like to understand that wealth is in your heart. Henry Ward Beach said, it is in the heart that makes the man rich. He's rich according to who he is, not according to what he has. And that's amazing because most men feel under pressure to sort of present themselves to women by what they have. If I ask any young guy here, you know, they feel they got to show like they got a lot. And a lot of guys, you know, do the bait and switch. (laughs) They got a car, it's sharp, but they owe everybody in town. And it's not really theirs, it's the bank. And if you think all you got to do is get some fast money. I got a video. Can we pull up the Shaquille video? 
I always tell people this story. I spent a million dollars in 30 minutes. I get a check for a million dollars from my trading card company. In my mind, I thought I had the million. I forgot about the agent fees. I, I forgot about FICA. I forgot about state tax and sales tax. So I probably netted like 700000 But I didn't know that. I thought I had $1 million. So I always wanted a black-on-black Mercedes-Benz. If you get a black-on-black Mercedes-Benz in the hood, you made it. So I go get it, boom, $150,000. Like, and then I also had no negotiating skills. Whatever it said on, on the sticker, that was like 150. I mean, you know, I probably could have got it for 129 or 130. He said 150. All right, I got a million. Because remember, my 150 minus a million, I still got 850 left. I'm still good. So I get home. My father said, That's nice. Where's mine at? I was like, You know what? You're right. So if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here right now. Me and him, we get in the car, go get the Zach. Same car for him. We get home. My mom's a little jealous. Where's mine at? You know what? Spend three hundred thousand, three hundred minus a million. I got seven hundred left. If I buy this one, okay, we're good. If I buy it, so we go and we get her the smaller Benz version. So we got three Benzes, and and then after that, after I drop them off. I was like, I need some jewelry. So I, I buy a big old diamond ring similar to this one. Right here, I get another ring for the other hand. I get a bracelet. I get some diamond earrings. I get a necklace. And I said, like, "Oh, the draft is coming up. Let me get some suits. I got some suits. Oh, I'm moving to LA, so let me get some some fancy clothes and let me get a high rise in downtown San Antonio that that pays nine thousand a month." And I get a call the next day from the uh, uh, from the uh, a bank manager, and he says, "I need to have a conversation with you." So I come up there and shows me the spreadsheet of where all the money went. He said, Shaq, you know, athletes, when they're done playing, it's a large percentage that they have nothing. So I've been following your career. You're a bright, young star. I don't want you to be like that. You need to learn how to take care and manage your money. You know, General Eisenhower said, the greatest leaders are the ones smart enough to have people smarter than them around them. I got a lot of smart people around me. Now, Shaq said something there, right? He said, Eisenhower said, you know, you have a lot of smart people around you. But will you listen? See, the difference was his attitude changed because your attitude will align with your behavior. See, people got smart people around them, but they don't listen. They don't listen. That's why sometimes we block our blessings because God knows if I did it, it would destroy them. It would destroy them. And the really interesting thing about all this is that we need to focus on our attitude. And we need to focus on what's important. What are the core values that we believe in? Is it? Because when you boil down to it, all the material stuff is really just for show. It's just really so people can go, whoa, wow. That's really what it is. I mean, you're walking around with shoes that hurt your feet. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I laugh at funerals. I mean, I'm kind of sadistical, but, you know, I see the women walking with those shoes and you see some of them and, man, I know it hurt. You know, but it, it looked good. The point is, is that we have to understand that our attitude must line up with what God has for us when it concerns our finances. And once we get our attitude, and that means is we are stewards over God's money. If we believe that God owns everything. There's a son with my name in the car. What should I render? And says God has everything. If you believe that, then your possessions also belong to God. And you are a steward over. And you should be in the mindset of being a good steward. Just like if you're working for somebody, you wouldn't want to take their money and buy all your clothes and spend their money and be foolish with their money. They put you in charge of it. If you have any type of moral foundation, you wouldn't. So it's the same thing with your money now. And God has given us the wisdom. 
So now that we have a right attitude, now we must apply wisdom to it. We have to understand the knowledge of what shall I do? Matthew 14 says, it tells a story. And this is really boiling down to where you're putting your money. Because I can bet everybody in this room has made more money than Mr. McCarty. Everybody made more money. I can't say everybody ain't got $150,000 to give to a school. But Matthew 25, 14, and 30 says it's the parable. We all heard it. It says it's Jesus talking. It's not one of his, Jesus. It's one of the disciples, Matthew quoting Jesus. Again, it's like a man going on a journey who calls his servant and entrusts them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to the other one he gave one talent. Everybody heard this story. The one he gave five went, doubled it, brought him profits. And this was money. And Jesus said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant, and blessed him with ten more. The one who had two, same thing, doubled it. But the one who had one, he got blessed. But the one who had one took his and buried it, buried it. Now, he didn't lose it. And when you know, when you buy a depreciable asset, you don't lose your money. It's just going under the ground. It just goes a little slower. And that's who Jesus cursed. And he took that and gave it to the guy who had 10. So my question is, what does God expect? He expects us to not be motivated by the frivolous things when it comes to money. He expects us to take the opportunity we have and maximize the opportunity we have with our money. Be happy with what you can afford. Now, I don't know why is the goal you got to have a big house. Well, is your house clean? Is your stuff working? Is your yard well kept? Is your car clean? I believe that it's just like Bishop Bronner says. What happens is, and this is really something to young people, that we must have the ability or the will to use our best mathematical ability to count the cost of future consequences by our current decisions. Let that sink in. How many of you do things and you say, oh, this ain't going to really hurt me. But if you get into a rut doing it, down the road, what kind of shape are you going to be in? I got to have this car. Look, I got to be happy. A lot of people say when buying stuff, shoot, I deserve this. Not count the cost of their future consequences. Get down the road, no retirement. So now that we understand the importance of proper stewardship, the next step is to establish a vision. We got the attitude. We got the stewardship. Vision is the why you have a destination. Your vision is, go to slide 11. Dale said this, again, I was, I was on Instagram, and he really brought this home. It says, your vision is the why you get up in the morning. What drives your schedule, this whole thing called life. Your emotions connected with your destination. Your vision is your why. Why are you doing this? You know, when I think about, when I think about why I do things, Everything on this earth started with me pleasing God because it first started with me pleasing my mama. And that's one thing that a great example, because when I got older, I realized I had no real excuses to do wrong when I had a great example. And excuses don't, you know, absolve you from doing wrong, but at least you got a reason. But when you've had parents there, and like I say, it doesn't absolve you because I'm reading LeBron's book and he had no example. And he's doing better than people who got both parents than done everything for him. But I realized that my mama made sure she got me in the church and got me to understand God. And I was able to see God work in my life. So I started out as a young boy because, you know, at 12, 13, I, wasn't, I didn't have the real understanding of God. I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't really have an understanding of God. I just knew my mama. I was like, <laughs> I don't disappoint my mama. You know, I met in school. I had to deal with my mother. That was my go-to motivation. You know, how would my mama feel about this? 
So got past that and grew up and saw God manifest himself in my life. And then I started saying, you know what? It pays to follow God. It pays. Because when I didn't, I had to deal with a lot of consequences, just like that verse said. So when you think about it, your vision is the why. But there are some other characteristics about a vision. A vision is always, when you think about your vision, it's always you're in a woke state. You're awake. It's not like a dream. You can be asleep. But your vision, you're awake. It's also related to your conscious state. It's related to things you're dealing with while you're awake. Your life, your situation. Also, your vision, you have the ability to recall it. And the reason why you recall it to every detail, and the reason why is because you will read it every day. Third thing, the vision is a destination and there's a plan or journey involved. In fact, you place a goal within my vision and plan so I can progress through. Your vision will be lined up with goals so you can make it through. And the last point about it's always going to be written down. You don't have a vision if you haven't written down. That's why you got to read it. The Bible says this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Write the vision, engrave it in plain tablets so that the one who reads it will run. For the vision is yet for an appointed future time. It hurries towards the goal of fulfillment. It will not fail. Even though it's delayed, wait patiently for it because it will certainly come. It will not delay. That means it ain't going to come when you want it, but it's going to come on time. Like that song about Jesus or God, you know. It may not come when you want it, but it's right on time. But the problem again is we cannot get tired and quit. Because, see, the thing is, we want everything quick. We want everything quick. And one thing I realized in my situation was, had I not gone through all the struggles I had to go through of understanding how I felt about material things, how I felt about understanding how to help people, how to be accountable, I'd have been just like Shaq. I've been just like Shaq because it's easy. It's easy. And the bigger the plane, the faster you go and the, the harder the crash. If you go from driving a car and you have a crash doing, you know, 10% of the max speed, you're okay. But if you get in a plane and you're doing 10% of the max speed, you did. That's the whole analogy as we go and increase our income. Because I do believe God will bless us once we start doing what we're supposed to do, once we start sacrificing. But then it's going to be a test. How do you handle it? The Bible clearly states the one thing we should write down in our vision is our vision. If the vision is not written down, it's just a dream or a wish. The vision is a detailed description of the destination with a purpose and plan to get there. If we were to travel in a car and have no destination or no purpose, and I thought this was interesting because when I thought about writing this, I said, you know, I used to do that sometimes. I used to be on my way somewhere. I knew I was going, but I asked myself, why am I going over here? And I turned around. <laughs> you know, why am I going over here? A purpose. You probably will not get to the place you want to be. You'll get somewhere, but it's not where you want to be, which is exactly what a lot of people today in their finances. They have no vision or plan until it's time to retire. Oops, they're out of gas and have no money. So you start now when you have opportunity. And everybody in this room got opportunity because, believe it or not, we just got through something that didn't happen in the last you know, 100 years. I don't know when the last pandemic was. I know it's hundreds of years ago, but we just went through that. And usually behind a big crisis is opportunity. And all they're talking about right now is that we're in a transformational economy. That in the next 10 years prior to the pandemic, life as we know it would be nothing like we knew 10 years ago. But what's the unique thing about that? What's the unique thing? Opportunity. Opportunity. And if you're aligning yourself with the word of God and you're aligning yourself with God and you're talking to God and you're working hard and you're working smart and you're really treating people how God treats people. See, when you think about Shaq, right, 
he thought he was doing something that a lot of people said, oh, that's what he's supposed to do. That's what he's supposed to do. That's his mom and his daddy. Who was he buying? Was he buying a talent that was going to double the money? Or was he buying a talent that was going to decrease? Was he bearing his money or was he taking it and doubling it? What if he blew his knee out before he went to the draft? Huh? See what I'm saying? We're looking at, oh, yeah, he's worth a ton of money now. But you, you never know. You never know. So you have to be willing to do what's right. And what I would have done, now that I know, I said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I ain't doing nothing. So I signed the check, okay? I went and bought a car. And I would have had a plan. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to save 80%. I'm going to give 10% to God. And then I'm going to split the 10% with you and we're going to live off that. Then we get more, it goes up. A plan. It's really simple. It's really simple. So the vision is the why, like I said. And the vision gives something direction and direction to your desired future. Your vision includes what you believe, your core values, and what you want for your future. It is the powerful reason why you want to do something and your overreaching purpose. It is your passion, and it keeps you excited and motivated. It inspires you to do whatever you want to do. So what we're going to do for the next class is we're all going to write down a personal vision. And if you're married, you sit down and you discuss it. You both discuss your passion. You both discuss your ideas of what you think you would like for the future. And I just put up an example of a, and I didn't want to say a financial vision because I didn't want us to always just look at finance. I want us to look at wealth because wealth also includes peace of mind. So the wealth vision that we have, like this is what I did. This is consistent with what my vision has always been. Not in any order, but it was to live healthy, well-balanced life that is pleasing to God. That was my first thing. Then my second thing was to provide a happy, loving home for my family in a safe community. I was not looking to live in the hood. I grew up in the hood, but the hood changed. <laughs> the hood changed. Three, to be a good steward over my finances. That happened again. When I told you about my mother, my mother passed. Before then, I had no concern about my money. But at 30 years old, my safety blanket was snatched. My mama died in her sleep, so... I had to wake up. My dad was there, but my dad was never a person who I could just go to like I could go to my mama. My dad was a provider. He did all the right things. My dad didn't play. So my dad would have let me suffer. You know, my dad. <laughs> Number four, I wanted to be free from financial slavery and debt and the need to consume product. Now, let me tell you what that means. So going through my experience with money, I was very aggressive in trying to come up with ideas to make money. And I always jumped the gun. So I had about 10, I had an art company I had. And I always saved money. First of all, I always saved money. I rarely borrowed money at all. The only time I borrowed money for my house and the cars. But when I did business, it was my saved money. So I'd take my money and start businesses. And I had a lot of failures. And when I would have a failure, what I would do, I would not go and borrow money to get out. What I would do is, I had a decent income, I would cut my expenses. So I did some real estate back during the real estate boom. And I made some money and I lost all the money. It's like a gambling. I lost all the money I won and all I had. <laughs> so I had to go about five to six, seven years and not buy anything because I had to hold down my household. So I didn't buy a car. I didn't buy any clothes. So I remember, and I told this story people have been in class for, I remember 
going. And I was a salesman. I sold advertising. And I don't know if you know anything about media, but advertising is glamorous. It's like almost like you walk in, you see Don Cornelius, you see celebrities there and there. So it's, it's very glamorous. So you got to have a presentation like you got something. You can't go in there broke down trying to sell somebody an ad that's going to cost $7,000 an issue. So I went in and I was wearing, I had like five suits. And I had rotated them suits for five years. And when I really saw God working was that I was kind of ashamed. But, I, you know, I had it clean. You know, I didn't mess up. You know, I made sure when I was out, I wasn't doing a lot of sweating. Didn't I? <laughs> I was taking care of them puppies. But the crazy thing about it was I would go see people. And I was seeing the same people. And I was traveling twice a month. I was going to different places. But I would see these people at least eight times a year. So people would go, now nah, I wore this suit at least seven times. They go, is that a new suit? <laughs> I'm like, huh? I'm like, huh? I didn't know that being funny or what, but I felt it was the glory of God on me. I gave God the credit. God said, thank you, Lord. And then I had clients. They were making big money. You know, advertising agents, they make a lot of money. And they had clients that worked for corporations. And I had a car. So my car at that point was like 19 years old. It was a 97. This 2007. So I had this old considered. Most of my counterparts were driving new Mercedes and all this. So I had an older car. And I would pick them up in it. And they never said anything about it. Never said nothing. Man, you all right? <laughs> but it was clean. And then I realized, I said, you know what? I remember my uncle. And my uncle was really interesting because he never drove a clean new car. He drove an old car. He had papers in it, you know, and didn't really look successful. But whenever he got out, he got the respect of anybody he talked to. How you doing, Mr. Brown? I was like, whoa. And we didn't understand it because we didn't really care. We was young. But I kind of felt that. I kind of felt that it wasn't a car. It wasn't the clothes. It's me. But today, what's the mentality? The clothes makers. So I didn't want to be in debt. That was the one thing I prayed to God. I don't want to be debt free. That was my last mode I was going in. I was going, I look, I ain't buying nothing tight. Oh, nobody. And I was on that way. And God blessed me beyond measure. <laughs> the fifth thing is to be a positive example of high character and God's morality to my wife and children. Let me say this, not getting too personal, but. You all, went through this walk, you're going to have the opportunity to think you can do something and get away with it. And what I find is, is that it's always right before a huge blessing that the temptation is the grace. And I don't see myself special. I just see me as a person who has always felt like I don't want to do something to somebody who don't deserve it. Now, I don't know if that's biblical, but that's how I, <laughs> that's how I feel. You know, if a person don't deserve it, I'm not going to do it. So... It really pays for you to do right. Now, you can't buy favor. You can't work and get favor. But there is a thing that's called what you sow, you shall reap. And God will bless that. So my thing was to be example because I had kids and I didn't want nobody else raising my kids. The last one is to have the financial ability to choose to work a nine to five. That means if I wanted to work, I could work. If I didn't want to work, I don't have to work. That's an example of what I call a wealth vision. So what everybody's going to do is everybody's going to write down a vision for themselves. Now, this is being televised, so those slides you can look at, but, you know, you can Google wealth vision, all that stuff, but you need to have one for the next class because that's a part of your due diligence. You can't run a corporation. Every company has a company vision. I know Disney is to make people happy. It's that simple. They don't care if it's healthy, but when you go there, you're going to be happy. <laughs> they don't care, you know. So the second part, so you're going to write a vision. So everybody's going to write a vision. Everybody understand that. The next part is, is that we're going to talk about the goals as we go through this class. 
What are the goals? The goals are the plan for your vision. Remember, the vision of why the goals. So an example of goals, you can show slide. I have the goals up there. Yeah. So here's an example of goals. So if that was my vision, I had to have some goals that line up. So the first thing I wanted to do, I was going to take care of God because giving does affect how you receive. You know, it's a basic principle that just doesn't work just in biblical terms. It works in secular terms. That's why corporations and stuff, they give. You know, there's an analogy I use is that if you take a dollar and put it in your hand and squeeze it so tight and to hold on to it, that dollar won't leave, but you can't put any money in it. So you give as a part of the cycle and the flow of money. So I was going to first honor God. Second thing I was going to do for my family was I made sure when my kids were younger that I spent time with them. You can't work and think your kids going to understand stuff. And your goal is, hey, I'm working to provide. I'm, no, you have to spend time. So I, just an example, I spent three hours of uninterrupted time. Now, when my kids were small, I didn't have to worry about uninterrupted time because we didn't have cell phones. But now when my kids come over, I have to say, hey, look, man, you got to disconnect. I wanted to invest in my 401k. Again, that's preparing for the future. I wanted to lose weight. These are examples. I wanted to save $20,000 by a certain date. When you write these goals, they're specific and they have a time to it. You don't just write a goal, one day I want to have $20,000. No, no, you have a timetable put to it. I plan to work overtime. How are you going to earn extra money to pay off all this debt? I'm going to work overtime. You got to do something. When we do these budgets, you can't look at your budget and say, my expenses are $2,000 and I'm making $2,000. I want to pay off more of my debt. You're going to have to make $3,000. Or you have to cut some. You don't have to say, well, I'm not going to eat out. You can cut, but you got to make a way to increase the revenue side by either making more money or cutting expenses. So, again, we're going to create this vision. That's all you have to come in with. And go to the last slide. And last thing we're going to do, I put up there six financial apps. I also want you all to start tracking your expenses. These apps, I went to CNET, which is one of the places I trust with electronics. And I wanted to get the best apps. Some of the apps have fees. Some of them have like a year free. That's the Dave Ramsey everyday dollar, every dollar me. But these apps also, everybody needs to get an app. Go through it. Take your time. One of the apps, I think it's the YNB, you need a budget app. I think that's an envelope system. So people like envelopes, that has the envelope. That's a little charge to it. Now, you don't have to get an app and pay for it. You can get an Excel document and do this. You can get paper and do this. But... Your two homework assignments is to write a vision, a wealth vision, and to start tracking your money in January because we're going to talk about budget. Now, back to my original question. What's the one single thing that will solve all your financial problems and guarantee you future financial success? Anybody want to share? Let me ask you a show of hands. How many people said, you're in church, so you, you shouldn't lie in church. You're not going to get outside. How many said more money? One, okay. be honest. Okay. All right, good. Raise your hand. I see somebody nodding. Make them high. How many say more money was solved? Okay. All right. Now, after listening to the message, do you still feel more money is what you need? Okay. What are some things some other people said? Continuous money is more money. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> little tomato, tomato, right? All right. Discipline, okay? Learn how to manage what you have. Discipline, okay? Uh-huh. New mindset. Right. Attitude. Remember this. All that what you're saying, discipline, that's your attitude. Your attitude will align with your behavior. We all think about attitude as what? That's one part of attitude. <laughs> but think about attitude of a guy before a game. 
who's getting revved up. He goes out there. He's charged up. His attitude, like, look at Lawrence Taylor. His attitude before a game. He was a crazy dog. That's where you got to be with your finance. You got to be that serious. You got to be that diligent. So the answer to the question is your attitude. God is concerned with your attitude. Let's look at our attitude. Let's search what is driving our thinking, feeling, emotions about money. Are we scared? Do we feel like, you know, we saw our parents struggle and we're going to struggle? Do we feel like our parents, anytime something good happened, our parents took us to the mall and we're trying to rekindle that feeling of let's go to the mall to celebrate? Because people do do that, you know? I mean, they ain't going to the mall now, but they was going to the mall before the pandemic. People go to the mall and shop and don't buy nothing. I never understood that. I never understood that. But there's the emotional tie to it. So all the couples sit down and talk about money. Talk about what is the vision. What do we want for the future? Don't even think about today. Just say, what do we want? Ask that question. What do you want? What do I want? And then you find a happy medium. Make sure you want something that's attainable. Don't say I'm a bus driver. I'm going to keep driving a bus. And my goal is to make $300,000 a year. I don't know what kind of bus you're going to drive making $300,000 a year, but you got to do something different. I'm not saying you can't, but you got to have a plan to go with that. Don't throw out an arbitrary number and not have a plan to get there. That's reasonable. Now, God can come down and bless him. Believe me, he will. But let's first start with the attitude. So let me ask, are there any questions? Any questions? No questions? Everybody understand everything okay? All right. So remember, don't come here and watch your homework now. You know, some of y'all on a plan, you know, scholarship. <laughs> don't get your scholarship revoked. But I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But no, let me say this in all seriousness. But this is for you. This is what it takes. And like I said, don't be discouraged if you've made a lot of mistakes up to this point. I keep telling people, you know, if we believe that God is great and God is good, what problem he can't solve? What problem he cannot solve? But let's just be walking the right road so he can bless us. You know? Mm-hmm. The vision. Yeah, sure. Can you go to slide number 14? The wealth vision. And like I say, you know, again, one thing we have today is information. So everything I said, you can go online, look it up. They have videos that can go more in depth. I have one hour and we can discuss things, but you can also get more information on what I'm talking about. Everything I'm teaching you are fundamentals of wealth planning, no matter how much money you got. Corporations that are worth billions of dollars have a budget. The government, what are they talking about? They're the only people that don't have to balance their budget, but they have one because they can print their money. You can't print your money and you get locked up. Any other questions? <laughs> what about it from the young people? Any questions? How many of you all affected by the marketing society we live in? How many of you feel that? Go ahead. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And we all are because, listen, you have five gates. And if you allow information to get in and it's pumped to you 24-7, even what to eat, and what to drive, how to feel, and then you add social media into that. Social media, people tell you all kind of lies about how great they're living. And you say, wow, how are they doing that? I mean, I don't know, but it seemed to me like Rolls Royces have come down a lot. It got to be like $50,000 because I see everybody on social media got one. But then I found out they lease them for a day and pay $5,000 and take the picture and take it back. <laughs> Isn't that something? And we sitting here feeling bad about our lives and looking at our significant other like, man. <laughs> hey, get off that social media. I'm going to say that to you. Get off it. If you look at it, know it's fake. It's not real. Any other questions?
All right, so we're going to meet February back here at the same time, same Friday, first Friday, 7 o'clock. And we're going to be talking about our first step of our plan, which is understanding where we are. That's the first thing you got to know in going somewhere. Can't go any place without knowing where you're beginning at. And today, nobody has spent any money or not that much money today. Anybody spending a lot of money today? Rent? Gas. Okay, when you get your app, that's all you got to put in tonight. So everybody can set their app up tonight. If you have one, just use it. But I want you to screenshot it and send me a budget or if you can email it, I don't know which app you can get, but you're going to need to have a budget. And you need your budget to be one that's real. And then we're going to tweak it as we go through the sessions. But at least give you the foundation that will allow you to manage your money. So, and like I said, mm-hmm. snap. Well, no, just bring it next week. But the email that I use is arkrendermymoney, A-R-K-rendermymoney at gmail.com. Arkrendermymoney at gmail.com. Any other questions? All right. Well, I thank everybody for coming out, and we'll see you next month. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was session one of the Render My Money 2021 series by Gerald Render. This message is number 4523. That's 4523 to listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4523 to a friend. Go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to iwanttogive.com. That's iwanttogive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Brothers of the Word.